2: Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Legal.com, Dougley Marie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Eads. And today, as we run through the interviews from last week, comprehensively covering and analyzing every part of the Ohio State football team, Jim Knowles, James Laurinaitis. And we will start with Jim Knowles because last week, guys, we did talk about the hiring of James Laurinaitis. We didn't have, we hadn't heard from James Laurinaitis at that point. So now we have heard from him and we want to talk about what he said about joining the Ohio State football staff. But Nathan, this really was an opportunity first time since the Georgia game to talk with the head coach of the defense and to talk about, I would imagine. And again, I I actually did not go back and listen to either of these. But uh, so I'm just uh, blindly steering the podcast into nowhere. Buckeye talk and hoping you guys will provide the actual information. but. Rough end, good start, like pretty solid 11 games for the Ohio State defense, I think. More good than bad. Rough stuff at the end. Did we get a vibe from Jim Knowles of how he thought the Georgia game went and how he thought the season went in year one as Ohio State's defensive coordinator, Nathan?
1: Oh, you remind me of a sports editor I once had who was fond of saying, like, I like to run a loose ship. To which I always it he was very good. He's a very good guy in many other respects, but I always was like, doesn't that mean you're just not driving the boat at all? Like, run a loose yeah. ship. <laughs> I mean, you just you might crash into the rocks. You might be lost at sea somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah. He he talked briefly about the Georgia game. Um, and said he had watched it once, watched it back once so far, and then cut it up and and passed it along to players for review. And two things really stand out still. I mean, the 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 explosive plays. And their inability to correct those sufficiently enough between the Michigan game to there were still on his mind and were uh, ultimately their undoing and something they have to get better at. He talked about how he thinks that that has to start happening this spring, but it is it is more still a uh, a matter of instruction. It's a matter of player development, player improvement. Um, being able to, you know, when, when you call a play, players, uh, in, in his mind, you know, they they don't come back at you and say that that's not the play. If it doesn't go right, they come back and say, how do you make me better so that I do that right the next time? Obviously there are times where the calls he made were a a factor too, but I think I understand where he's trying to get at there. But the other thing that he came at uh, beyond that was, you know, coming back to the third quarter adjustments, a quarter where uh, he felt like they had, They had talked some things through at halftime. They had made some adjustments and that what they showed in the third quarter proved that if they can eliminate those explosive plays, if they can be more consistent at eliminating those things that they have a defense that can win a national championship. And we've talked about that in the wake of that game. I mean, you lose 42 to 41 to Georgia, and your defense is really, at the end of the day, no worse than theirs was. You're right there with the team that's going to win back-to-back national championships. And if you're, you're one play away, really, in, in a lot of ways. So I, I see Reese coming from there, too. So I think that ultimately, that game informed a lot, though, about, um, you know, obviously he's coming in last year, and it's a blank slate. And now he has 13 games worth of film, including those last two, with a lot of guys who are coming back this year. And now instead of installing a defense, and there are still some things that they want to to build up from what his system is, it's taking what you know already and making corrections and making improvements to the guys that you know are coming back. We did have a pretty
2: long conversation about this where – the Ohio State defense ranked this year compared to where the Oklahoma State defense ranked in year one of Jim Knowles several years ago and how the Oklahoma State defense in his four years there did get better statistically in its ranking nationally every year. And that in year one, Oklahoma State was in the 70s. And this, by the Football Outsiders' measurement, was number 15 for a defense. So it clearly was better than the year before how do you think, Stephen, like Jim Knowles should be feeling? It feels like we do – we like talking to Jim Knowles. And I – he seemed kind of sad after the, Michigan, <laughs> after the Michigan game. It was like, oh, this defense is so good. And then we blew all these coverages. It's an odd year because from the jump, the explosive play discussion with Jim Knowles was so primary to how he talked about this defense. And we were grabbing him after the first game to be like, hey, what's your measurement of uh, of explosive plays again? Like, how many did you have? Is it 15 for this and 12 for this and 20 for this? Whatever. It was such a fundamental part of how he looked at defense. If we can limit explosive plays and this is the acceptable number and anything above this is too many. And then it's an explosive play conversation at the end, Stephen. I mean, there's more to it, but it's it's odd how... That was a thing last year, and it is the thing right now with this defense in this offseason. It's, well, you know, you can be pretty good 55 plays out of 65, but maybe let's not fall down. Maybe let's not run into each other. Maybe let's not blow a coverage and leave a guy wide open. And, you know, I almost think sometimes if the whole thing is bad, it almost feels like easier to fix. Like, well, we got to fix everything. And this is like, well, it's good. It's like a lot of parts of it are good. But how do you eliminate these killer plays? It's an interesting off-season conversation, Stephen.
0: The very first defensive snap of Jim Knowles' career was an explosive play because he sent Denzel Burke on a, on a blitz, and Josh Proctor was out of position, and it basically set the tone for how the year was going to go. Lathan Ransom falling down—I I don't know how much you fix there because it's well, not
2: like—and we've had texters bring this up. Uh, he didn't just fall. I I do think there was yeah, something he, 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 in he that some play. Mess. Yeah. They the ran st- at him and there was something about the play that maybe is it that guy in that position at that spot on the field where he gets in a tough spot and then as he tries to survive in that tough spot then he falls. It wasn't a guy who had perfect coverage and then just happened to fall down, right? So so yeah, yes, falling down was bad, but also I think there's something there in the structure of that play That helped lead to the big to the problem as well. Good route uh, by Georgia wide receiver, but I think he just weird
0: footwork in that situation. But the reason I was saying it was because it's not like Lathan Ransom had had an issue in coverage all year to where we needed to be like, man, this is this is we saw that play coming. That's why it's more of that than uh, Georgia's wide receiver did some things there to make Lathan Ransom fall. He didn't just. It's not the Sean Springs I just slipped at the line of scrimmage type of thing, but it is somewhere in the middle of all that. But a lot of the other stuff is it's almost like the problems are drastically different than they've been the last two years at Ohio State, where in 20 and 21, it was they couldn't get off the field. It was, you know, they were the whole point of that defense was to make guys drive on people because we have more talent. And eventually you're going to make a mistake or you're not going to be able to finish with a touchdown. And teams were disproving that entire theory by finishing with touchdowns. Well, that's not an issue anymore. The whole. Oh, a team's going to drive. A team's going to drive because I don't know how many teams just had sustained drive after drive that ended in touchdowns. I mean, but Stetson polar- Bennett
2: drove on him right down the field to win the game.
0: Yeah, that but that, okay, game. but even uh, that, that's not the explosive play that ends up winning the game. That's wins the game if Latham Ransom doesn't fall down on that explosive. If there's a couple other explosives against Michigan that don't happen, Ohio State wins that game. So it wasn't an uh, habitual problem all year long. It was more the explosive plays being an issue. So the question is, how do you cut down on some of that? Does that mean Jim Knowles needs to maybe? back off of when, not so much how much he's aggressive, but the moments where he is aggressive, maybe he backs off in those situations, like we talked about after the Michigan game. Or does that just mean we just need to continue to see the uptick in talent, especially in the secondary, that will solve some
1: of these issues? I would just want to make one little correction to what Steven said. Like, on the first play of the season, Josh Proctor wasn't out of position. He was in position. He just didn't make the tackle. And that, I think, speaks directly to what Jim Knowles is talking about here, that it, it, yes, he has to. And and he said this many times too, right? His, his kind of cliched thing about when we, when something goes wrong, I assume it's my fault. I have to do something better. He takes that blame. And I kind of skipped right past that because he says it so much now that I think it's, it's been well covered, but it gets back to the, his, his overall mantra for the spring, for what is going to be happening in these, in those 15 practices being, you know, they are who they are. The philosophy doesn't change. Maybe there'll be some, some, I think some wrinkles as far as being aggressive in different places and how they approach that. But there are certain aspects of this. Think about the problems that the cornerbacks had this year. It wasn't dudes like blowing past the cornerbacks. It was a cornerback being in position to make a play and just not making a play. Guys making plays on the ball over the cornerbacks, multiple cornerbacks. It was a problem. And that's what he's talking about, I think, that there are that is a technique issue more than it is a play call issue and he's not absolving himself from the play call problems but as far as what they can address this spring it's got to be 15 practices where he called it a three to one split basically like 25 is experimenting with some things 75 is improving the base techniques that these guys need to have to execute plays
2: so this goes back to the thing that we always talk about right personnel coaching scheme personnel coaching scheme personnel coaching scheme and i do think we spent And talking about this defense, we talk a lot about personnel and scheme. Jim Knowles was here for, like, scheme. you got to dial it up in a way that's going to throw the opposing offensive coordinator and quarterback off. You have to change their eyes. You have to make it more difficult on them. And then we've talked about the talent dip, right? Are they still back from a recruiting standpoint on the defensive side of the ball? Are they back to what Ohio State at its best should be? But we don't talk about the coaching, I think as much. And it sounds like Nathan, what you're saying, he's saying 75% coaching. And that is interesting to me. Cause I mean, what was last spring scheme installment? This is how we do it. And you've got to teach them within that, how to do it. But now they know the scheme. This is the defense. You don't have to teach. You don't have to install. Now they're going to add wrinkles. Like you say at 25%, but to teach technique, make sure we're tackling properly, make sure our coverage, like right? our angles, our backpedal, right? When we're passing guys off in coverage, that kind of thing. Steven, that feels like, like that's where the emphasis should be. And year one scheme, two, year two technique, and all along the way, you're trying to raise the level of the personnel. Maybe there is a jump here. Because of course, when you're trying to learn a new system, you're not going to be able to deal with, with those other things quite as much if this is a spring of technique maybe there's a lot of answers there
0: especially when guys are in and out of practice because of health situations which does go back to the spring I mean Lathan Ransom and Josh Proctor didn't start participating until halfway through spring Lathan Ransom wasn't ready to play football until the first day of fall camp so all of that plus you're learning a new scheme there probably wasn't a lot of not saying there was zero, because there was definitely teaching periods. That's how our practice is set up, but there probably wasn't as much as you would like. And mo- for the most part, all the guys we expect to be part of the secondary in a significant way, outside of maybe the two transfers, they know the scheme. Because they've been learning, they've been learning it for a year or they've been learning it since last June. So they know the scheme. So you can focus more on turn. <laughs> Feels like we've been having this conversation since Jeff Halfie got hired. Turning and looking for the ball. When it's up in the air, making a play on the ball after you've located the ball in the air, tackling in the secondary, basic coverage skills, all this stuff that seems basic, but this is, I mean, clearly it's, it's easier said than done. Tim Walton and Perry Eliano can spend a lot more time doing that than they are not only teaching a new scheme, but learning it themselves. It's not like they came with Jim Knowles from Oklahoma state. So everybody, but Jim Knowles on that defensive side of the ball was learning. Even Larry Johnson, it's he's been doing things one way for his entire career, and then all of a sudden Jim Knows throws this new position in his lap and says, hey, pick a couple of guys, and they need to play this position. That's not necessarily going to be the case as much this time around. It'll be more technique with some of that scheme stuff thrown in, with some guys maybe learning some new positions. But for the most part, you can teach basic football fundamentals the way spring is typically supposed to be set up.
1: I mean, not only was it a new scheme, it was two new position coaches in the secondary, and I – that may have been a factor, too, to some of what we saw during the season. But I think Steven makes an astute point about the the injuries and how that probably affected it, too. I know there's people yelling at their computer slash radio slash phones, whatever, uh, right now, uh, as you often are, I assume. I assume that's going on at all times. But right now saying, hey, you're letting him off the hook. Hey, you're making excuses for and we're not and he's not. He's not saying he's saying both is a factor. He's saying that play calling is something that he has to consider. But he gets to consider that every day of his life between now and and september 2nd what he can do with these 15 practices this spring what the staff can do with these 15 practices this spring is to hone in on technique and he did say right didn't when did we talk to him was it didn't he say
2: in the aftermath of the georgia game that they thought they were a little less aggressive they backed off a little bit they didn't they didn't yeah, go out a lot with of much them. stuff so they
1: mm-hmm.
2: they did adjust to that stuff and i don't think you know the, the one big play where the, where you fall down and you give up a 76 yard touchdown pass is obviously huge, but it wasn't, I think, as consistently an an issue in big plays as it was in the Michigan game. Nathan, when he talked about the idea of 75% in spring football is going to be on this technique thing, did he say it like this? Hey, 75% is going to be on technique. We're going to get down to football. It's going to be awesome. Oh, we love teaching technique. It makes players so much better. It's awesome. Or was it more like, Oh, man, we got to get after this technique. It was really a problem. Like we got to do 75% on technique because there's such issues from last year. We don't have a choice but to do 75%. And I ask it because of this. In my family, when my daughter was in preschool, the tone of how you say the exact same words, right, can really matter. So sometimes you could say, you can't be late for preschool, which means like, my gosh, if you're late for preschool, you're driving your kid to preschool. Oh my gosh, we're three minutes late. You can't be late for preschool. But really what we meant was you can't be late for preschool. Like preschool is not even a thing. How can you be late for a thing that you don't have to go to? It's your choice to go to preschool. It's not mandatory. So like you can either be all wound up. You can't be school. I could be like, you can't be late for preschool. So I want the tone. When Jim, I think it's very interesting. This is information we're telling people. 75%. This is the focus in the spring. What was the tone of how he said it?
1: I think it was somewhere in in the middle there of those two Caricature that you did and and okay. i as someone who drives his son to to daycare every morning i will say i do feel the pressure of making sure i'm at daycare like while they're still before they're like out of breakfast time like you've got to get there in time to make things as easy as possible because i don't want to be the one who's in there uh, handling seven uh two-year-olds at the same time or whatever but it's somewhere in the middle because i the way i the better way to say it is it's not like they weren't as you said before It's not like they weren't teaching technique before. But here's like here's kind of a paraphrase. Like they want to be more. He feels like they have to be more demanding about the preciseness of technique this spring. That they're you know they've already taught technique. Now it's a matter of okay. It's not like they were saying before that a seven was or an eight was good enough. But it's like now there's just more. What do he say? He said uh, I've got to put more steam on the preciseness of technique. Like to, to just because they had to the balance I think between install and teaching last spring there's much 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 less install to do now and now you get to like ramp up that standard I I don't think that's saying that they 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 were being sloppy before I think it's just as you were kind of alluding to before it some of this is the natural progression you have only got so much time and you have to prioritize things and now because they have had a full season with this defense and installed a lot of it although he said there was only like two-thirds of of the full defense mm-hmm. that got in last year, so of a, what he expected to do over the whole time he's at Ohio State. So now it's just more about you know holding guys more accountable to the the, the small details.
0: Yeah, he said two thirds, even though he
1: told us a hundred percent before the season. So you got to pick one of your fractions there. Well, um, I, I, I wonder sometimes how things get how the question gets phrased might be determining how he answers yeah. that. Like Did did someone ask him, how much of the defense have you installed? And he might have been answering 100% of the defense he thought he could install for year one. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, go ahead. That's fair.
0: But also, how do you put steam on
2: something? You ever ironed anything? (laughs) That's generational. I I actually want to hear the answer to this question. Have you ever ironed anything 20-something?
0: It's been like a decade since I've ironed something.
1: Can, can I tell yeah. you something? I don't iron we, things either. I don't. Yeah,
2: we we throw things in the in the dryer and
0: put the fluff on, and that gets. Yeah, well,
1: I, don't, I don't. I, buy, put I don't the fluff buy. don't buy. I don't buy a wardrobe off the coals rack to have to go put in a clearance rack to go put in more work later. Like it's they're 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 kind of <laughs> they're kind of ironing proof and not because they can't be ironed, but just because why? Why?
2: No, I remember. I someone told me one time like they bought something on sale that was dry clean only and then they wore it like three or four times, and then they just threw it away because it was going to cost more to dry clean it than it cost to <laughs> buy the thing. And it was like, it's run its course. Yeah, I'm yeah. out. So I, I would rather throw my plaid right. shirt from Kohl's in the garbage than attempt to iron it because what are we doing here? Yeah, it's not... There was a time in my life when I ironed. Yeah. But I probably have not ironed since steven has been alive, which is why it's not being dismissive of a 20-something, it's that the world has changed. It's a much less ironing world than it was, and I think you kind of missed it, Stephen. And you didn't miss anything. It's it's fine. Seems
0: time-consuming. Well, no, I did it in high school because they put me in Catholic school, so we had to wear um, mm. Oxford shirts. It's very time-consuming. That's not a five-minute job, especially with dress clothes, if you do it right. So yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't do it anymore.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably one of those things that's like... Um, fishing or horseback riding like if you don't grow up in a family that does it you probably didn't do it we didn't grow up in an ironing family
2: yeah no i would i would imagine that if there's some big time ironers out there please let us know if you're a tech subscriber shoot us a text if you are a big time ironer if you're ironing multiple times a week we would like to know how and why and to what end and how good does it look and we'll do photos you can tweet at us too (laughs) <laughs> tweet us photos of you in your ironed best. It's like what's the opposite of like a dirty photo? It's like it's the cleanest photo you can get. It's like I ironed my khakis and I ironed my Oxford shirt and it's tucked in and I have a belt and here's a photo, Nathan. Your wife's going to be like, "Why are all these men sending you photos of their ironed khakis?" Be like, "It's a podcast thing."
1: I'm going to go ahead and bring this up right now. It's going to take this thing probably completely off the rails. But did you happen to see in our texts coming in in the last couple days somebody sent us a yes. picture that i believe they meant to send to someone else about getting their tongue pierced so yep. if you're out there listening and you tried to send a message of your tongue having been pierced but needing to get it fixed i think or something or re-pierced that did not get to your intended destination i don't think it only came to us we don't we didn't really have it maybe you meant to send it to us there just wasn't a frame of reference for why you were sending it to us
0: those are my favorite texts when we get random stuff like, hey, call me back right now. It's an emergency. Hey, here's my tongue piercing. Or when it's I'll be home in five minutes. And it's like, okay. Yeah.
1: We, get these texts, yeah. we get these texts like, like seriously, go to the bank right now. They need the ransom. The gun's at my head. And it comes to yep. us. It's not going to whoever's going to. So, so we've <laughs> lost some subscribers over the years. What are you going to do? <laughs> Thank God it
2: was their tongue. Fuck, okay, I talk. That could have been worse. Could have been so much worse. So Jim Ooh. Jim Knowles is going to iron the defense. The defense that's his cat. I don't. He's from Philly. I don't know if Philly people iron fast Landis. So he's going to emphasize this and like Nathan was it was it upbeat? I mean, there's only a when you're from Philly, there's you can only get so upbeat, right? I mean, it's not. I mean, unless you climb a goalpost and like, unless you like tear down uh, a telephone pole because the Eagles won the Super Bowl, that's the version of of being upbeat if you're from Philadelphia. But in talking about, he's not going to be like jumping up and down. But what was like the tone? What was the vibe of the entire Jim Knowles conversation? Is he is he kind of maybe down not on the defense, but maybe on himself because of the way the season finished? Or does he was it more like talking about players? who maybe are going to have bigger roles this year and that kind of thing. Was he like, yeah, no, let's go. Let's get after this thing.
1: Well, again, it's, it's all relative to the standard too. I think you you're talking, you can be positive about the defense as a whole and, realistic about the deficiencies that were there in the most important games of the year and that the work that's left to fix those things. I mean, to to your point, like when when we talked to him in the past and you would ask him about a player, like, hey, what do you think of this guy? There are times he'll just take a pass. He'll just be like, eh, I don't know. And especially when he first got here, but like even into the season, sometimes he'd be like, I I haven't really seen it. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Moving on. But now everybody I think that he was asked about yesterday, and there were probably a dozen different players he was asked about from True freshmen all the way through to guys who are you know fifth year guys or whatever, he had positive things to say about everybody. I think he is pretty uh, happy with where this roster is right now. I think it's a matter of just recognizing that that roster needs to be taken up a notch and and some of it is uh I thought a texter sent us uh, i i had texted something out this morning on Tuesday morning about uh he was talking about sunny styles. And some things he would said about Sonny Styles, and a texter responded to that and said, "I hope Jim Knowles realizes that uh, we need to get more athletic players on the field. Sonny Styles, C.J. Hicks, like the, kind of alluding to that. And some of this is guys that are now be in their second year and in a better position to do that. But then also remember, like how frustrated they were that Jordan Hancock couldn't get on the field last year. How frustrated they were when Mike Hall had to take a like kind of a secondary role. You start talking about the guys who had maybe athletically separated themselves in some of these positions." Could barely get on the field, or couldn't get on the field at all, or really limited. So, just getting those guys in a, a full season and, and having them healthy and is going to help. And I think it's, to say that you just need to work on the baseline of technique and baseline um, of of skill that this that your defense has is not a big admission of a, a huge deficiency. I think it's again just a sort of the natural progression of where where they need to go. And some of it was just exposed by the the very best teams they played last season.
2: This is a point of reference. At one point, you said yesterday it was actually six days ago now that we talked to Jim Knowles. So I don't correct,
1: want people correct. to be confused. Yes.
2: It's like, yes. Yeah. I mean, it feels, man. I just we love talking to Jim Knowles. It just feels like yesterday we talked to that guy. Well, it was it's so just fresh today. That, it was just today
1: that I re-listened to Jim Knowles. Dude, that's true. Get that's all true. this stuff down. So, that so to you, yes, that's how. Time.
2: In the digital world, that's how it happens. Okay. We have a Jim Knowles vibe. We need to get a linebacker vibe. I want to get a linebacker vibe. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. We're going to get to James Laurinaitis in a little bit, but anything Laurinaitis said related to players, we can include in here because I want to talk about players. And Nathan, the, the I don't know if it's hard, but it's like Tommy Eikenberg and Steel Chambers are kind of – I don't know that we have a lot of questions about Tommy Eikenberg and Steel Chambers. And they only have two linebacker spots, and those two guys played most of the snaps this year, and they're both back next year. And so what – was the Jim Knowles conversation about Tommy Eikenberg and Steel Chambers, especially in a world where Tommy Eikenberg
1: is out for spring football. So he referred to linebacker really as a position of no stress, at least for the spring, that, I mean, they, they know they've got two starters coming back that are good at their job, and they know that there's some talent coming in behind them. But as far as what they expect to get out of the spring, like you said, Tommy Eikenberg is out. It sounds like Steel Chambers also will be taking a little bit of a Step back, not because of injury or anything, but just because, excuse me, being a veteran guy, he can afford that. They want to get young guys reps. I think that's the best way to say it. Like, they want to get the young guys as many reps as possible. When I say young guys, that means CJ Hicks, Gabe Powers. You probably put Reed Carrico in that group too, even though he's going to be a third year guy, which seems crazy. Like, he's already a third year guy. But, like, the more unknown guys, get them as many reps this spring as possible to try to you know, keep building up that position group. Now, even for Eichenberg and, and Chambers, though, there's still growth. I'm Eichenberg, again, Give me out this spring, but they want him, you know, improving in things like pass coverage and getting his hands on the ball more the way Jim Knowles said it. And I think we've seen at times where that is definitely still a gap that he can close in, in technique. And with Steel Chambers, you know, they've seen really good things from him on the perimeter, such as the interception he made against Stetson Bennett in the in the playoff game. Uh, you know, out in coverage outside. They want him to be able to better use his hands inside to fight better in the box and be more of a physical force in the box from that will spot. So they have plans for those guys need to improve too. It's not like they're content with where they are at at this point in their careers. But again, what Noel said this spring is going to be a heavy emphasis on trying to get those younger guys repping as much as possible. So how fired up should people be Steven about what, we might
2: be able to get eyeballs on when it comes to younger linebackers for us, maybe the couple times in practice, we get to see it, but what people are going to see in the spring game, again, in a world where Tommy Eichenberg was one of the biggest stories of Ohio state football, big 10 football, and, 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 you know, arguably national college football last year with the leap he made and the kind of player he was and how important he was, but there are a lot of guys and other than steel chambers and Tommy Eichenberg, I feel like we, know almost nothing about what the rest of this linebacker room really plays like like are you fired up to see it
0: yeah just because there's going to be plenty of opportunities for guys to flash i know cj hicks is the headliner of the get the young guys more reps conversation but nathan just mentioned i mean reed carico is a third year guy who has done nothing and last year it was a guy trying to carve out a role for himself as sam linebacker that ended up not being the case because the death chart whose name was somewhere on a death chart did not matter at that position because they just went with the third best guy which was Cody Simon at the time but even Cody Simon I would maybe throw him more with the young guys now at this point too because this is a guy going in the last year we thought he was one of the starting linebackers and he ended up sharing a role with still chambers early in the season and then not having much of a role late when the season got kept going so I would throw him in that as well so basically anybody not named Tommy Eichenberg or still chambers this is an opportunity for you to maybe You know, move the needle a little bit. And if it's CJ Hicks, it's showing why you should force Jim Knowles to play you and maybe share snaps with steel chambers for anybody else. It's hey, why you should be in the the too deep and why you should have they should even consider you to have real playing time when the fall comes, because. It's only two linebacker spots. Sometimes they play three, but for the most part, they just plan two. And they have a deep linebacker room for not a lot of spots to actually play. So this is made, and you're over on scholarships, and you're looking for places where maybe where the attrition might come from after the spring, I would put linebacker high on that list of places where if you don't feel like you're making a move this spring, can you really stick
2: around? I don't think I agree with that. Because they were so stacked at linebacker a year ago, but it's very possible, I mean, looking at the scholarship chart, it's very possible that this is it for Chambers, Eichenberg, and Simon, right? And then actually, when we talk about these young linebackers, it really only is three guys, because Mitchell Melton is really not a linebacker. And then it's Carrico, Hicks, and Powers, and then the only other guy on the list is Arvel Reese. So I don't... I mean, there's opportunity here. Reed Carrico's in a tough spot. You're a third-year guy. You haven't had a chance to do anything. You have two starters back in front of you. But when we talk about, I mean, last year it just felt like there were still a couple more. Chip training was still at the linebacker room, and Paie was in there. And just like it was more like it was even more jammed up than it is now. But this is the spring of Gabe Powers, Reed Carrico, and C.J. Hicks. And I am curious – As to whether, do we think, Nathan, do you think that those three guys could do something this spring to show that they need to be on the field in some manner in the fall? Because you can think you know what you have with returning linebackers. But if somebody says, like, holy moly, that guy looks like he's ready to be first team all big 10 it doesn't mean we're gonna bench steel chambers or tommy Eichenberg, but we have to get that guy on the field like how much do you think we're looking for that level potentially nathan from these three guys
1: i think it's possible that you they could at least make the first step in that direction i don't know those decisions seem to be made more in preseason camp than in the spring with any kind of finality certainly but i mean hicks is the one i mean hicks is the one that jumps out right he was the one that had really the bigger role of any of those three guys even as a true freshman last year like even from a special team standpoint he had as much of a role as as carico did really and the guy that has all along been seen as the highest ceiling of that group and one of the higher ceilings relative to his position on the whole defense he's the one that that people are already really paying attention to and jim Laurinaitis was asked specifically about him and uh, had a lot to say about him just in terms of being really blown away by just the, the obvious talent that he had. He said that just watching the team that morning, last Wednesday morning, do their team run or whatever you, he just looks different. He he stands out. He, he, he looks like a different kind of athlete and he's excited to see what CJ Hicks can be. The, the I think the team is still excited to see what CJ Hicks can be. It's just a different version of when, you know, another senior group had some other guys blocked a couple years ago. Uh, but as we, I think, correctly summarized at the time, that eventually ended up telling us something about the guys below, not just the guys above. And I think with Hicks, it's it—he's only going to be a second-year guy, and there, there's so much to learn that first year that maybe he couldn't close the gap on someone like Steel Chambers. But maybe this year he can.
2: Can I ask something? And and, and I—are you Jimming Laurinaitis? Are you Jimming him?
1: Did I? Say I have Jim? only
2: ever Jamesed him. You Did said Jim. Jim.
1: Sorry. You no. said Jim. I, I, that's that was a a, a mistake. He, it's Jim Knowles. He's not Jim himself, Blair. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. No. He's a James. James. James.
2: James. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know that he's ever been Jimmed. Like, I don't know. Actually, like the answer to that question. I don't know if like Marcus Freeman or Luke Fickle or AJ Hawk Jim him or not. The real question: if he's ever been Jimmed.
0: The real question is: is Jim Knowles actually a Jim, or is it actually short for James? Because if he that's a James. the case,
1: most people the James,
0: could be, the, the James linebacker room.
1: Yeah, they
2: instead of yeah, they could make that instead of a Will and a Sam and a Mike. It's like it's, it's gym a Jim and, the, and James. the James. Yeah, the James the is the middle linebacker. The James kind of really has to make sure everything's set and be like, a, and then the Jim, the Jim, you just get him a space and let him go. Hold on, it's the Jim, the James, and the Jack. They need to change yeah, the they, Jack to the Jimmy, to the Jimmy. To, that would not be confusing at all. The James, the Jimmy, and the Jim. Yeah. Well, it, hey, hey, Mitchell, it seems like maybe you started off as potentially a James, probably a Jim, and now you're a Jimmy. How is that a mm-hmm. – so, um, so we're eager. I'm eager. I'm eager. I want to see these guys. It's almost one of these things of the Tommy Eichenberg injury. Nobody wants Tommy Eichenberg to be injured. Everybody wants Tommy Eichenberg to have functional thumbs. Buckeye talk. <laughs> I want Tommy Eichenberg to have functional thumbs. Again, I would wear that shirt. But in the pursuit of functional thumbs, some other dudes are going to get to play. And they were going to do it anyway. It's like what Urban Meyer did a couple of years ago. It's the 2000 Rep Club or whatever. It's like at some point, it's like you don't need spring football. So the young guys were going to play anyway. But this is really a good opportunity. They have to see this. We have to see this. And I will be curious to see what the level of like demanding to get on the field is with these guys. And again, Laurinaitis, you said it, Nathan, but Stephen, I know you were at Laurinaitis for a while. Like I will say over the years, sometimes when Ohio State linebacker play was questionable and James Laurinaitis was in Columbus, not as a coach, I would have conversations with James Laurinaitis about linebacker play. And he had raised eyebrows at times along with the rest of us, but... I, I do think, Stephen, this is a guy who knows what a good young linebacker looks like, knows how a good young linebacker should and can be developed. And I, again, let's run through the list of how many linebackers in the last since Luke Fickle left, how many linebackers have we seen maximized in this room? Now, you know who we saw maximized? We saw Tommy Eichenberg maximized last year. And maybe there's even more there for Tommy Eichenberg, but Jim Knowles with the way he coached him and the way he used him brought out the very best of Tommy Eichenberg. So a plus across the board for everybody involved with that, but there are some really good athletic linebackers. I'll start with Jerome Baker. Uh, We can go with Baron Browning. We can talk about Dante Booker. We can talk about a variety of dudes. I'm still not sure. Like Pete Warner was really good here, but again, I was turned in a circle sometimes of like, he's good right now. He's good. Is he good? I can't remember. Is he good? No, he's good. Then he was a second round pick and, like playing all the time. And one of the highest graded linebackers in the NFL It's like, no, he was good, but nobody, nobody thought Pete Warner was a first team all American here. He was good, but I don't even know if they maximized Pete Warner the ways they used him. So it matters to me, Steven, when James Laurinaitis looks at a guy like CJ Hicks and says, he's got it because I think I maybe like the chances of them maximizing CJ Hicks more than linebackers have been maximized in the past several years.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm the one who asked him about C.J. Hicks.
2: When he said all those things,
0: it basically is just because of who James Noronitis is. It just put a stamp on what Jim Knowles said a year ago when we asked him about C.J. Hicks, and he was you know, enamored by the athleticism that is clearly there. Now, I, I feel like with, Jim, with James Noronitis saying this, it's more just, okay, what does that mean, though? Because all the athletic talent in the world – it would seem like what's missing now is it just clicking on the field and him, you know, I guess applying it the right way, which is where bringing in a guy like James Lauren, maybe gets you the most excited because who better to turn a guy who was all American potential at linebacker into an all American than one who's been a three time all American. And so he knows how to do it. Well, he all, he didn't have the same athletic talent that CJ Hicks had when he first got to Ohio state. So who better to teach him that stuff? So for me, when the spring ends or even as we're watching the spring and when we do get the linebackers in spring and we talk to CJ, it's less about, Hey man, you're really good. How can you help the team? It's like, Hey, are you, is it clicking yet for you? Are you starting to get it? Are you, Has the, have you kind of mastered the system in a way that they can trust you out there? Because we know he can physically do it. It's just, is it up there mentally because we saw this past year, Jim Knowles is asking these linebackers, whether you're the Mike or the will to do a lot which requires somebody who is who has it mentally just as much as physically. So if C.J. Hicks is getting it mentally and you apply that with what the five-star talent he is, then that's when you get the All-American upside that he starts heading towards.
2: Okay. Let's take a last break. When we come back, let's talk more about James Laurinaitis and why he decided to come back to Ohio State next on Buckeye Talk. Steven, I know you were with James Laurinaitis for a bit there during the interview session. Why is he here? He wants to coach. I think, and you had
0: kind of alluded to this already because you know him better than I do, but he had gotten an itch for coaching, which is why he ended up at Notre Dame in the first place. And I, I preference the question of, Hey, did you at all look at what Brian Hartline is doing with the wide receivers and go, we could be doing that with the linebackers. I could literally be doing that with the linebackers, the exact path that Brian Hartline was on. And he agreed with me. He, he, he said, well, he should be LBU just like we're wide receiver you and all these other different things. So it's, 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 He's a former buckeye, so and he who got the itch to coach. And he saw Brian Hartline do it at a high level and felt I could be doing that exact same thing. I have that exact same itch. I've already kind of, I'm starting to show that I can do this thing on a, re, from a recruiting standpoint, even if he can't go out and recruit. When he was at Notre Dame, he was building relationships with recruits when they were coming on campus. It's why there was some buzz about maybe some Notre Dame guys who were thinking about Notre Dame in the 2024 class, maybe, you know, veering, veering towards the Ohio State because of him. So it's all those things. He, he got the itch. He is starting to show that maybe he can do something here, but also seeing Brian Hartman do it at a high level. That's put him in a
2: position to want to feel like he can do the same thing. What do you think of this, Nathan? Is this like a nice story? And again, we, we had some level of those conversations. It's like a nice, hey, Buckeye comes home. Hey, isn't that cool? It's nice to have alums on the staff. And Ryan Day is mentioning the six different staffers that they now have who played at Ohio State. And that's cool. Or is this like more than that?
1: How big a deal is it in your head? You know, for first-time coach, I think it was reasonable to wonder if – what was he gonna? You know, did did Ohio State want to be the team, the guy, the place that was taking the chance on him getting his first foot in the door? You know, let let Notre Dame take that chance. Let him go find out for sure with that year at Notre Dame that he wanted to do this. Now, it was interesting. Like it wasn't like this was the plan all along. I think he said he sold his house here in you know Dublin uh, Powell area. Oh, he, he did sell the house. That's what he said, mm-hmm. I believe, during oh, that interview during last Wednesday, and had moved to South Bend. And like he he was. He was living in South Bend. He was going back to South Bend last week, and then it was going to be driving back this week. So it was kind of like the opposite of what he had to do when he first took the Notre Dame job. And now they've got to move back here and buy another house, and they're they're looking for one, but the inventory of what they want to buy is 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 not there right now. So it's it's an interesting market to be buying a house in right now. But uh, but you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like this was always like, hey, just go make sure, and then we'll have a spot for you next year, like that. It clearly wasn't like predetermined like that Uh, but I think what he found through that year I think there's two things that are important here he got out there as you've talked about got there and found out like no like this is the thing like this is what I'm supposed to be doing I'm a coach and I want to coach and I love it and I'm ready to do this and you're just kind of making a lifelong commitment to it at that point but on the other side of it as Steven's kind of alluding to he was making a difference there like he was getting a reputation for like hey you took this young linebacker and made him better you made an impact in recruiting there's guys who are going to you know, were committed to come to Notre Dame because they want to play for Jim Laurinaitis and James Laurinaitis. Ah, <laughs> James Laurinaitis. <laughs> I didn't grow up saying it like some people did. Uh, James Laurinaitis. They want to play for James Laurinaitis. So, like, it wasn't just that he, like, you know, got his feet wet and did this little internship or whatever, and now he deserves to come to Ohio State. I think Ohio State saw not only yes he's committed to it, he can demonstrate that, but he's demonstrating his worth and he's demonstrating his value to a program. If, if Ohio State brings him in, they can it makes their program more valuable. I think maybe that was the most crucial thing of why he's here now, that it isn't just a pat on the back and a thing they're a boner throw into an alum. It's a guy who says, this is how I can make your team better. And he said that was also, also part of almost a prerequisite for why he would come like you want to have discussions how much am I actually going to get to coach the linebackers and be really involved in a hands-on way because he had a big role with Notre Dame and felt like he was making a difference he didn't want to come here and have some kind of you know secondary behind you know off to the side thing like he wanted to be really involved with it and he got he got those assurances and he is excited about coming here to Ohio State and doing it
0: which I think was really interesting that he had the, as big of a role coaching the linebackers as he did as a GA at Notre Dame, given he wasn't a position coach, but also the head coach is a linebacker coach by trade. So that's a lot of different people with their hands on the linebackers. And yet James Laurinaitis still had a role and still had a voice. And now you're putting them in a place where the only voice, the main voice in that room is also the defensive coordinator who probably would be, rather spend that time scheming up in a room, as we like to say with him sometimes, which is he's probably going to be even more hands-on at Ohio state than he was at Notre Dame.
2: I think we're thrown off by the reality of Ohio State. I think the head coach should not act like a position coach, ideally in a world where you have position coaches that you this fully have full faith and trust in. So I think that's like Marcus Freeman's like, what do you mean coach the linebackers? I have a whole program
0: to run. Yeah.
2: He also has an offensive coordinator to replace, which we'll be talking about in the College Football Survivor Show this week that Notre Dame lost Tommy Reese to Alabama. How did anyone ask James Lord, hey, you're going to be the linebackers coach in a year, right? Like full-time staff member. Well, Come on, right? Come on.
1: There were definitely questions. Come on, come on, come on! Definitely questions, kind of trying to to pry out of him what his career ambitions are, Uh, as there Mm -hmm. were about Brian Hartline, probably at a similar juncture. Although Brian Hartline just got got thrown into the dryer and the tumbling around in a weird time in Ohio State history, and it just worked out better than I think anybody could have ever expected it to work out. Where for James Laurinaitis, I think it would be a more conventional. Um, process, but he, you know, he said, yeah, I want to be, this is what I want to do. I want to be a position coach. I'm not going to lie to you. I want to be, this is what he wants to do full-time. This is going to be his his new life. He want, He's a coach now. So uh, I, yeah, I think as we've already discussed, when and if and when the NCAA moves forward with expanding the coaching staffs, it would seem like a strong possibility that he would be bumped up to a a, a bigger job at that point.
2: I'm looking at FanDuel. I just brought up the odds because it's on my phone. You can have it on your phone. And I just looked up the odds that James Laurinaitis is Ohio State's full-time linebackers coach for the 2024 season, and it's 10000 So you have to bet uh, you have to bet $10,000 to win a dollar on that bet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet it because I could use a dollar. So you could use 10, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. And that's not inside information. That's just... Come on, come on, come on, uh, come on. He's, of course he's going to do that. And then how much was the Michigan game brought up? Because I don't think we said hire James Laurinaitis as a GA on our list of what they need to do to react to the Michigan loss, Stephen, but we could have. <laughs> we, like we could have said S- stack your coaching staff with Buckeyes who have beaten Michigan – was it asked of him, to our knowledge? Not, not Come outward. on, people, you're not asking James What is about Michigan? What are the people asking about? But even when you think about that, it's fun they
0: actually do have people on their staff who have beaten Michigan. And I actually never lost to Michigan until they became coaches. I mean, Brian Hartline, CJ Barnett, literally anybody who's a former Buckeye on the staff before the last two years, he had never lost to Michigan before. So I don't know if hiring James Laurinatis like checks off that box the way that we were talking about when we were having what do you that mean discussion. you don't know if James, of
2: course it checks it off. I mean, he's, he's, he's one no, of the greatest black guys of all time. He is. beat Michigan four times.
0: But from a, that standpoint, but just the beating Michigan, not the the individual talent standpoint that James Lauren artist was, just the beating Michigan part. You have guys on your coaching staff already who. So kind you of think t- it's like, "Oh, we got CJ Barnett. We're good." I mean, Brian
2: Hartline also. Okay, one. I mean, those are two pretty. So nobody asked him. He didn't get. You guys listened back to it. He didn't get asked about the Michigan thing. Hey, you're coming in at a time when Ohio State's lost twice to Michigan. What can you do? To help Ohio State beat its rival. He didn't get asked that? Nobody asked him that?
1: I, I wasn't at the table. I don't know. Yeah, not... No, but not, you guys
2: listen back. On. What you listen to, yeah, you didn't hear Yeah, no, not to that. my knowledge.
1: That was not... Come on, come I on. I can't listen questions into the interview in No, retrospect. no, I'm
2: asking. Not
1: to my know. remember. No,
0: no, not to my remembers. Nobody. He never got no, out I right asked. About it. I, I don't.
2: Were think you think saying you do that like, you can't listen to the question? Anymore. No, no, no. I'm not saying you guys who weren't <laughs> yeah. there or shouldn't. Have. I'm saying like what, people had 17 questions for James Laurinaitis, and none of them were, "Hey, Michigan, come no. on, people, ask the Buckeye." Who's that's part of it? I guarantee it's part of it. Now, it's not, I mean, it's maybe it's not the highest thing on the list, but I do not think so. They are promoting the fact that they have all these Buckeyes on staff. And I do not like why now? Okay. So he we went and got a year experience. I get it. But why now? Why now? So why now? Come on. It's part of it.
1: I don't know how much of a part of it it is. I think it's a much less of a part of it than the things I was mentioning before that he was getting good reviews from Marcus Freeman as to the work he was doing with the linebackers there, that he was having a demonstrable effect in recruiting. Those things are much more important to Ohio state than the fact that he was beat Michigan as a player. Cause I think the, the most important anyway.
2: thing, the most important thing to Ohio state, it's not that he beat Michigan as a player. It's that they have a person in the building who can speak to the rivalry in a firsthand way who's not someone you have to bring in from the outside. And I think that matters. they number one. What's the number one thing Ohio State has to do right now? Beat Michigan. It's but, number one thing. It's
1: but how many, how many years does a coach have to be on staff? Like Larry Johnson can't speak to the rivalry. He's been here since 2014. Ryan Day has been in the program since 2017. Like these guys can't speak to the rivalry at this point. they not just been playing it. Part it's part of different. their life. It's different.
2: Yeah, but it's different. Planning it. It's different. It's different to plan it. You're knocking heads, man. I think it matters.
1: I think it's, a, I don't, I just. I don't know.
0: It seems more like a bonus thing that they, I don't know if that was part of the qualification for him because he, I think he'd still be here had they beat Michigan back in November. So I, I, it's a good bonus to have. And it's, def, I mean, I would be shocked if he's not the guy who get, who's talking to the team about it that week just because he does know it from that situation. But I don't know if, I don't think it was necessarily a major
2: part of why they went after a guy like James is in this position. Why is he here? What's the number one reason you guys think he's here? Nathan, what's the number one reason that you think he's here?
1: I said it before. I mean, they had an opening for a GA, uh, and they needed some help with linebackers. It's the most natural place to add a, a GA. And he had demonstrated himself in Notre Dame for being someone who was making an impact in the same job. Why would you not bring him back? I think the I think the fact that he's an alum is is not 0% of the equation. I think Ryan Day genuinely likes that but it's why they knew him maybe it separates from any other GA who might be interested and may probably, and it definitely enhanced his interest in coming back. But I, if, if he were just an alum who hadn't demonstrated those things, they probably could have found a GA who is just as much or more qualified to make their team better.
0: I think he's here. Cause he's going to be the linebackers coach in a year and it allows this gradual, but yes, all that stuff they, there was an opportunity available to do that, but it's more, to, but because the opportunity was available, this is a chance for him to, you know, get a year under his belt before he actually takes over the position room. And Jim Knowles is just a defensive coordinator who oversees
2: everything. Which is what's going to happen, which I agree with. I just think we're, I think we, so now I'm taking us back. I'm spinning us back, right? We tried to say, listen, they lost to Michigan. Michigan's really good. Ohio state's in the playoff. They're one of four teams with a chance of the national championship. All that really matters. You can't, you know, turn off your TV because they lost to Michigan because there's a great big world out there. Now that the season is over, the number one thing they have to do is beat Michigan. There's all these other things that are happening. The number one thing they have to do is beat Michigan this year. And so I am going to see how does this help you beat Michigan and everything they do. And I don't think I'm seeing ghosts with that. So the idea that like, do we think linebacker play wasn't good enough No, I don't think that's it. Like the development of linebackers, right? Do we think maybe recruiting at linebacker could use help? Yeah. No, I think that's true. I think that's definitely true. But they were not. James Laurinaitis was interested. And like, it's one of those things. Did you think that James Laurinaitis wasn't going to be good at it? They could have made him a GA two years ago and they didn't, but now they did. So what changed? I think one of the things changed, they lost Michigan twice. Like, did you really think it's like, I don't know that guy? Come on. They could have – and they didn't hire him as a full-time staffer. They hired him as a GA. He was qualified to do this two years ago. They didn't hire him. So I understand there's moving parts, whatever. I think it's – I think it ratcheted up the idea of like, ooh, we can get this guy who is going to be a good developer of linebackers, going to help in recruiting, all those things. But also we can get one of, what is, eight or nine three-time All-Americans in Ohio State history who's undefeated against Michigan back in here. I just think they need some people in the room. Who can give the speeches without having to give them, bring them in from the outside? So I I I think it doesn't solve everything, but I think you needed to Michigan it up a little bit. I think you need to rivalry up, rivalry it up. So it's like I said, bring in Jim Trestle as a rivalry coach. It's like, I don't know, bring in the guy who won four Michigan games under Jim Tressel and was a big part of that sounds good to me. I think it's more than um a nice little side addition. I think it is a big part of the resume at a time when I think Ohio State could use it. And I think I think they need it. I think they do need it. We so, need to
1: we need to revisit that discussion in the in the offseason because I feel even less like you do now than I did the first time we had that discussion back right after the Michigan game. But I think I agree that I see how does Ohio State beat Michigan in all of the things they're doing. But I see James Laurinaitis coming in potentially freeing up Jim Knowles to do more defensive coordinator things, spend less time as the linebacker's coach in minute ways. That is a way that helps them beat Michigan. And it has to do with him being a competent person at that job more than the fact that he was on teams that beat Michigan.
2: I think I agree with that. You you said
1: what did you say Nathan? We have a you th- you
2: Disagree with me more or think less? What was the thing that you the thing,
1: think your uh, your concept that they need to like adorn themselves with more uh, of these these almost ceremonial things about culture? Making, things. I feel that less now than I did even right after the game. Why? Why? Because again, Do you think it, it's just about football. They just got to win the football, football game. Yeah. yeah. What's the I here? Agree. Here, quick, quick, quick thing that summarizes? I think how I think about this. What team was better, the 2018 Ohio State football team or the 2022 Ohio State football team?
2: What team was better? Yes.
1: Uh, 2022. Yeah. But why did the 2022 team lose to Michigan? Why did the 2018 team lose to Michigan? I don't think it's culture. I think it's because. Wait, 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 wait. 2018 didn't lose to Michigan. That's my point. The 2018 beat Michigan. The 2022 team lost to Michigan. I think it has a lot more to do with how good Michigan is than some big cultural deficiency that Ohio State has. And that's the conversation that we can have on a different episode. But Urban Meyer was the head coach in 2018.
2: Urban Meyer who like lived and breathed and drove everybody crazy
1: about the thing. Yeah, and he handed that off to Ryan Day. Ryan Day didn't. You, you're saying that you think that that didn't keep happening under Ryan Day. Ryan Day made that a staple of what he was still doing around the, the, the Woody.
2: This is this is this goes back to a fundamental, a fundamental. uh, This is a pod in itself. Disagreement. That's why I said. That's why it doesn't need to be. Yeah, of the view of the rivalry.
0: I I think I'm somewhere in the middle of both of those things. I do agree with the, the notion of I think Ohio State lost a football game, and so they needed to do things that would improve the football aspect more than they needed to do the culture stuff when it comes to this rivalry. But I don't know if I'm so far that way of. I mean, there's some culture aspects that maybe need to be re emphasized here. I do agree with that, but I don't know if it was, it's, there is some part of it that's just as simply as some football things happened that ended up making them lose a
2: football game. Let me ask you this. We'll end it here and tease the future pod that we will do on this. In 2021, who was the better football team, Ohio State or Michigan? Nathan, what would you say?
1: Uh, I, th- Think that's debatable.
2: It's mm. close. You think it's close,
1: like a toss-up? I think the, 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 there were enough deficiencies in that Ohio State team that it made them uh, more susceptible in a matchup way than they often are, and that they often have been against Ohio, uh, against Michigan in the past.
2: Steven, who do you think was better in twenty twenty one?
1: I think Ohio State was better.
0: I can't back off of what I thought before that going into that game. I thought Ohio State was going to wipe the floor with Michigan. And just because Michigan ended up winning the game, I, I can't back off of that when I thought Ohio State was better to begin with. So
2: I, I think Ohio State was the but better you team. You thought that because you didn't know how good Michigan was. You didn't have a handle on Michigan. I think Michigan was better in twenty twenty one. Then they I were think in, in twenty two. I think Michigan in twenty twenty one, I think Michigan was a better football team than Ohio State because of Ohio State's deficiencies on defense and what Michigan could bring with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and Dax Hill and what they did on both sides of the ball and the way they devised their run game and how they could get after you. I think what they did best, they did better than what Ohio State, and I don't think they had as many, I don't think they had as glaring a deficiency as Ohio State did on the defensive side of the ball and like Ohio State's trying to hand the ball to a freshman running back on third and one. So I think in 2021, Michigan was the better team. Who do we think was a better football team in 2022? I think Ohio State was a better team than Michigan in 2022. And again, we can get into the specifics of how you match up and all these things. But I think Ohio State's better. Michigan didn't have Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and Dax Hill. And they didn't have Blake Corum for the Ohio State game. So Nathan, who do you think was a better team in 2022, Ohio State or Michigan?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think on paper Ohio State was better, but again, it's it's similar to 2021 where there's enough deficiencies there that Mich- you were susceptible to losing to a team as good as Michigan. And Michigan, these last two Michigan teams, as we talked about before, were so much better than most of what Urban Meyer had to play against. See, I might use Doug's logic and
0: apply it to 2022 because I mean we didn't. JJ uh, McCarthy ended up doing some stuff in that game that he hadn't shown all year, and maybe some of that was you know Jim Harbaugh they not wanting to show all that stuff all year, but once again, Michigan had a guy who could attack Ohio
2: State's efficiencies, and they had a quarterback who could attack a secondary that had been a problem all year. But C.J. Stroud's better than J.J. McCarthy. I think Michigan was better in 2021, and we didn't realize it until they played the game. And I think Ohio State was better in 2022. So then why did Ohio State lose at home to Michigan in 2022? I think because they weren't ready for the game. I think they weren't prepped for the game in the right way. I don't think their heads were in the right place. And yes, they fell down on defense and they did some things. But I think it's not just football. Because when we did the football, smirking Nathan, when we did just football, they were as good as Georgia. When we did just football, they were as good as Georgia. So I think there is a cultural component to that game that led them, also was indoors-outdoors, led them to not play their best football at a time when Michigan did play its best football. So if I didn't think it was as much cultural in 2021, I do think it's cultural, more cultural in 2022. So I do not view the hiring of a three-time All-American as an adornment or a trinket. I view it as let's beat Michigan. What do we do? Okay. This might help. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to focus on Michigan because I don't think it's just football because their football is pretty good. Ohio State's football in 2022, as it turned out, when we saw them at their peak, man, they were as good as anybody, and they couldn't beat Michigan. So anyway, that's where we, where we will have that discussion. But that is how I view 21 and 22 differently. And so I am at a different place with the cultural discussion around Ohio State and the rivalry than I was a year ago. So that's how I view
1: everything now that they're doing. Regardless of my smirk, I do respect the argument you're making. I will just say I think maybe best summarizes what I'm saying is I, I don't think I underemphasize the culture now. I think the cultural aspect of it during Urban Meyer has maybe been overemphasized because of how much better Ohio State was in so many of those years.
2: I think that's right. I think, Mm -hmm. and we've tried to tell people that. Michigan's Mm -hmm. good. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Michigan's good. They're better than they've been at any point since they won the national championship in 1997. So you have to view everything a little bit differently. But also, I think Michigan got in its own way for a long time in this rivalry. And I think at the moment, Michigan has figured out how not to get in its own way. And I'm not sure where Ohio State is with that discussion right now.
1: Okay. That's a tease. Eh, Come back in. June? Yeah, sometime. <laughs> sometime between now Eventually. and September 2nd. Sometime between now and November 27th or whatever I, that is. That
0: pod is like Avatar, where we tell people about it and then the movie doesn't
2: come out for another 12 years. <laughs> this will be the pregame pod yeah. on Friday before the Michigan game. So set your watch for. It's the New 11 King on North. Months, 10, 10 months from now. Yeah, we're going to. Oh, man, this is going to be 2026. This pod's getting get a going to rock. Why don't we finally do it? Okay. Uh, that's it for linebackers, for James Laurinaitis, for Jim Knowles, for CJ Hicks, for all that discussion we wanted to have. Next up, Perry Aliano and Tim Walton. Secondary for Ohio State. That will be the Thursday pod. We always appreciate you guys making us part of your week. And by the way, just a little note. If you are a college football Survivor Show listener – that show has been one free episode a week and one pay episode a week for Apple podcast subscribers who paid three bucks a month to listen to those four bonus episodes each month. That's going away. Not the episode, the money. So if you had been thinking, ah, I guess I like this stuff, but I don't want to pay for it. You don't have to anymore. So starting next week, the college football survivor show will be two free episodes a week instead of one pay and one free. So, Set your watch. Get subscribed to the College Football Survivor Show. We recorded our final Apple Podcast uh, edition this week, and we'll have another free show this week. But anyway, just want to let you guys know about that. Anyway, Thursday, Eliano and Walton. Friday, probably Mark Pantoni is the plan for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.